Hey you, you're listening to Slamcast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Patrick Pantlin, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how's it going, man? Uh, Rob, I am thrilled to be here today talking with you about this subject, mm, which is something yes. that has been... When we were compiling a list of potential episodes to uh, regale the listeners with at the conception of Sloancast in 2020, um, one of the points at the very top of my list was like a theoretical, what would happen, would have happened had Action Pact been uh, more like the other Sloan albums, right? What would have happened yeah. if the creative process for Action Pact had been more like the creative process for Pretty Together or Never Hear the End of It? Um, I think since then, discussing the discography with you has made me better appreciate the place that Action Pact has within the catalog. And as such, I am very ready. I've, I've been ready for about three years, very ready to have this excitement-filled episode, as it were, uh, and to shoot the shit on an album that has a very, very important, very interesting meaning in the band's output. However, before we do that, Rob, let's dive into a chat that we had recently with the well-known Sloan superfan Emily Plunkett about her bid to get the greatest band of all time into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame and a little update around what she's been doing on that front. Well, let's just get right into it. Emily Plunkett, thank you so much for joining us on Sloancast. Well, happy to be here. I'm uh, coming to you live. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I've got updates and stuff it's that Friday, I want to share. It's Friday, it's 10.30, it's time to party. Please do. With your excellent host, Yeah, I mean, Ken so just Gilbert. a bit of background here. Hmm? That's right. Sorry. And with you, as always, Rob. Rob! <laughs> uh no- yeah, Emily, it's so good to talk to you. I, I've known you for years now. I want to just kind of pin down. Did I meet you on the two th- the, the Double Cross tour in New York? Would it have been like Manhattan or Brooklyn? I think it might have been Boston. Were you hanging out with Jamie in New York? More than likely. Um, were oh, you at, at, um, at, at in the Cambridge? Bears. Were yeah. you on tour with? I guess it would have been Hot Kid, right? That's right. Yep. And in, I wore uh, because we were in Boston, I wore my new kids in the block t-shirt. Um so yeah, we would have met in 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 Boston for that tour. And then me, Rainey and Maggie, we followed them from Boston, New York, or Brooklyn, and then Philadelphia for that tour, which was absolutely wow, insane. Right. And I love that. Yeah. So yeah, I've known you now for like uh, 12 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. So awesome. And just within this past year, we've been chatting kind of in the background uh, about Sloan for the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, which is obviously they're, you know, now in their 32nd year or whatever, 31st year. Um, You know, uh, 2021 was their 30th. And um, now more than ever, what an appropriate time, obviously. I mean, I'll let you get into that. But but before we start talking about Hall of Fame, why don't we just get a bit of uh, information on you for the listeners? You know, where you're from, uh, early music memories, how'd you find Sloan? Uh, Well, I'm, as I probably mentioned in the past, I'm originally from Sarnia, um, right on the border there. So uh, a lot of my early... Early music education was basically through my parents 
and the radio stations down there. God bless them. It was a big old oldies radio station down there. That was my first introduction. So it was a lot of old 50s, 60s, a lot of British invasion. Um, my dad's originally from Manchester, so he was always a huge Beatles fan. And he uh, he introduced me to Yellow Submarine. And then I can remember being super young and wanting them, wanting my dad to play Revolver because it was the the album with the most songs from Yellow Submarine. Um, yeah, a lot of, just a lot of that kind of oldies. I, I don't want to call them like moldy oldies or anything, but it's just that early period that was played a lot when I was growing up. And I love, I, to this day, I still love all of that older pop, 60s soul, Motown. I love the fact that I could get the radio stations out of Detroit which is mm. actual Motown, mm. playing Motown, which I love. Um, and that was, I was obsessed with the Beatles basically until about the age of 14, um, when I was kind of formally introduced to Bare Naked Ladies. And that kind of opened the door to everything Canadian content. <laughs> um, Sloan would have come through the f- around the time that we finally got much music in the house um, in about 2001 mm-hmm. or so. And uh, I just saw these guys on much music and I thought they were great. They were close to what I was learning in school. Um, I was a bass player in my mm. school band and I really loved this one bass player. That was the singer nice. lead singer, bass players. They, there's some big ones out there, but of course they don't, they don't always get that that spotlight. So I was actually seeing a bass player that was in the spotlight and I loved it. Um, so I ended up buying, that would have been pretty together and I bought it and I wanted to learn every song on it. Um, but of course, like around that nice. time, my, uh, my guitar teacher who was teaching me bass, um, who a uh, fun fact for anybody who, who knows Canadian, Canadian rock, uh, my bass teacher was the drummer for Max Webster. Oh wow! Back in the day, um, if you know oh, who cool. that is, uh, Gary. Uh, he wasn't a big fan of Sloan, so every time I brought in something that was Sloan, he begrudgingly he? Sh- showed me. Uh, Gary was an awesome, awesome teacher. I love Gary so much. We just had that one, that one little thing that we just didn't agree with. Um, but I think he had that with like all of his, his, uh, students because all of his students his, especially the drummers all wanted to learn Metallica and apparently he didn't like Metallica either. So. Right. The legendary uh, Max Webster Metallica. So, beef. Yeah. But anyway, um, he was cool because he loved the Beatles and he taught me all of these like good songs for a, like a high school schooler student to, uh, to learn back in the day. But I still kept I still kept listening to them. I tried to really incorporate what I was learning from them, what I was hearing on the album. And then they played my first show would have been Sarnia Bayfest in mm-hmm. two thousand two, um, which I learned this year right was the first time I ever brought a camera to a concert, took a picture of a band on stage, and had it turn out, which is important. Because, of course, I do all the photography stuff now. So I have this really awesome record of 
the first time I ever saw Sloane and currently the most recent time I saw Sloane, which was also in Sarnia. Mm-hmm. Just twenty awesome. exactly twenty. Did you years do like later. a side by side on Instagram? Yeah, I did. Exactly. That's, tw- yeah, I ten years apart. Twenty years apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. and from there, I just bought up the records. Um, I had a lot of people still trying to tell me that they sucked, and I don't care. I just kept buying them. Um, and I fell in love. And from where there. are those people now? Nowhere. That's where. I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. That's um, awesome. And that's okay. I've made better friends along the way, <laughs> um, including the band themselves. Half the time, I awesome. feel my favorite. Ooh. My favorite quote that, uh, um, or that I've I've really reflected on was that I had a lot of people trying to tell me that as a band, Sloan were a bunch of assholes back when in the in the '90s or maybe the early 2000s. I don't know. I don't care because in the end, uh, they were all very wrong, extremely wrong. So. Right, they're only two assholes and two really nice guys, but yeah, we won't name names. And who they are, we don't know, because they've all been nice to me. I'm just saying. I um, I don't know. That's where it... Yeah, I find people people who regard anybody famous or, or a band or whatever as an asshole are generally probably one themselves and were probably rude, like, hey, guy, like, you know, sign my fucking football jersey or else. He wouldn't do it. What an asshole. You know? <laughs> so... Anyway, that's kind of the uh, that's where it all kind of started. Uh, there was a good period there where mm. they weren't touring to Sarnia. So I didn't see them for quite some time. And then they came back in about 2006 during the Never Here to the End, the bit mm. tour. And I met them all on the first go. I still have the T-shirt that I got all of them to sign that night. That's awesome. Before I... Oh my god! And I, I, wow. I have it. I got to figure out something to do with it because when am I, when am I ever going to get something like that again in one shot? Mm. So, um, I got. I want to see a picture of that. What shirt was it? Was it a Never Hear the Ever shirt? Yeah, the white one with all their faces. The fo- yeah. So I didn't mm. end up really wearing it out. Oh right. Um, but no, nice. I, I found them all. I got them all to sign it, and that. Sold it completely. Catching all the Pokemon, I tell you. It was in one night in Sarnia, yeah, where everybody were still trying to convince me that they were crap and assholes. So they're all wrong, and uh, this is where I am now. Yeah. So let's hope none of those people decide who gets into the Hall of Fame. I don't know if any of those people are looming in the you know dark corners or whatever, but. Cool. Well, let's know. get to it, man. So the band just turned the band just turned thirty uh, now, almost two years ago. Um, I think their first official show, as we saw online last year, was January nineteen ninety one, and so uh, Smeared came out ninety two in the US ninety three, which is going to be a banner year this year. Obviously, an anniversary year, as we've talked about on the show previously. But yeah, it's about time. I mean. I think you guys could tell me what you think. You know, if the idea of the Hall of Fame for the band themselves, I think they're probably wishy-washy at best on it. I think for them, they'd probably be like, well, it'd be a nice honor or whatever, but we don't need it. And I think they're relevant and um, 
you know, capable of putting out incredible music regardless, you know. Um, but I think, you know, as opposed to, you know, I've, I've seen some bands uh, that are sort of like legacy acts where they've just kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't that many of them out there, but they regard a Hall of Fame sort of as just sort of like a recognition and not sort of like a closing of a chapter. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think? I think, uh, and Emily, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on this in a second, but like as, as soon as you start to enshrine anybody into any kind of institution that recognizes a body of career work, then it's almost like this recognition that like the career is over. So um, for me, the fact that Sloan is continuing to release records with a caliber that, uh, you know, is, is, is similar to, if not equal to what they've been releasing for their entire career, that kind of puts them in very weird territory because the, I, like there are bands that continue to tour and there are bands that continue to release albums, but there are very few bands that continue to do both things sort of at the same level that they were doing 30 years ago. I can't think of another group that would fulfill those criteria. So it kind of puts them into very unique territory and it's hard to have that. Like it's hard, it's hard to compare Sloan with other contemporaries because they're just not doing what Sloan is doing. So Emily, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I think that's uh, especially with what we're doing specifically with the Canadian music hall of fame. So I think it's easy to compare it to the rock and roll hall of fame in the States, which is very much that legacy honor per se. Like you do get a few acts that are inducted right off the get go in the States um, on their first ballot or or however it works. Um, But for the Canadian side of it, like I think this is maybe an opportunity to really kind of veer away from maybe the idea that honor like this can be like defining a career and then it's all downhill. Forget that. First and foremost, I, yeah. When it comes to the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in particular, um, it's not like there haven't been bands that have been inducted and have continued to put out material and have continued going. Now, the two examples that – actually, there's three – with two examples that technically aren't good per se, but, you know – I look at a band like Rush who were inducted in 1994 mm. and were touring right up until, mm. you know, 2016, yeah. I think was when they had to stop. Mm. Um, and of course, the Tragically Hip mm. were inducted in 2005 and they still toured again right up until they could. Sure. And put out, um, and put and out they were good still material. Releasing yeah. good music. Yeah. And they were very relevant. Yeah right up until, well, we all know how relevant they still are technically. And then uh, Blue Rodeo as well. Mm -hmm. A little bit older, excuse to a different fan base, but Blue Rodeo are still out there. They're still doing their thing and they're still beloved by so many. So the fact that we want to give them, Mm -hmm. we want to give our band Sloan this honor isn't, doesn't mean that it's that it's like the end or anything like that. This is this is something that will mark the monumentous 
achievement of being around for as long as they have and for being as consistent and as brilliant as they've been this entire time. Mm. Um, and the, also, I I think coming from, especially this is coming from the fans as well. Um, you know, I've made sure to know the band knows what I'm doing, you know, on the peripheral. But for the most part, this is coming from the fans who recognize that you know, we, we've loved this band. We've loved this band for so long and we can't stand to see, stand back and see them not recognized in some capacity for, uh-huh. for their greatness. Um, you know, think of all the bands that would have come after or as a result of Sloan. Um, I'm even looking at myself, like I didn't become a musician at all. I'm horrible at that, but I still found a way to keep myself within the music industry Mm. because I still wanted to, to keep an eye out for what Sloan was doing for seeing what more I could discover, um, like through whether it be Canadian music or anything related to Sloan. Um, I just think that, you know, now's the time where we should be paying attention to some of these bands that have really made that impact. Um, Whether it's like I put Sloan up on this pedestal because I love them so much. Um, But I'm also thinking of like all those other really good nineties bands that are now seeing their fans really mature um, that aren't, haven't been recognized Mm -hmm. yet. Um, You know, the big one that comes to mind is our lady peace isn't in there either. Um, but let's start with this with this one little band that could and still does and um, you know just really really give them the recognition and the love that they've deserved yeah and sometimes doesn't they haven't yeah. always gotten in my opinion yeah I think like the selling point for me is like any sort of light that can be shone on the band now, that allows people to kind of sit up and go, Oh, like I haven't thought about them in a minute, perhaps. And, and they have a new album out and it's kick ass, you know, like we were just talking before we started recording about Jack rabbit at the big takeover, giving it you no know, album of the year. Uh, you know, it's uh, obviously it's my album of the year as well. And they're the, but, but truthfully, even among Sloan fans, and I'm sure people who are on the periphery, you know, we've seen tons of activity online of people, people finding the finding Sloan, in 2022 at the release of yeah. steady and going like, Whoa, like either just re- discovering them or fans that have maybe lapsed over the years and going like, God, this album is just undeniable. Like, you know, we haven't had a podcast during any other releases, but I mean, from our perspective, I certainly yeah. saw a ton of people like just heaping praise on it and not just being like, I love Sloan and they have a new album. It's like, I love Sloan and this album is like insane. Um, so kudos to them. But I mean like, yeah, so any light that can be shone on them is great. And then the other selling point for me is just like, who is their yeah. peer? They're peerless. It's, you know, it's 30 plus years, all original four members, all singer songwriters, all still relevant, all still putting up music regularly. That's amazing. Uh, and playing live. Like, I mean, I, any band that I can think about going into the hall of fame, I don't, I don't think that they do the same thing as they do at the raw call correct me if i'm wrong that they don't 
induct them and then they perform obviously but i mean were they to i mean just think about the junos back in the 90s when they did like money city or whatever like that had mm-hmm. the, the whole house on their feet sloan in 2022 and 23 obviously in the, in the present are the band that makes an audience go insane live you know what i mean like so it's not as though you know they, they still have that wow factor live yeah. What I think would happen now, this is this is this is a dream. Um, if they were inducted, like during the main show, um, and this is this is thinking back when Bare Naked Ladies were were there were inducted. I was technically there. That's a whole different. That's a whole story. But um, all their friends came out, mm. came out to, to came out on stage. Of course, BNL have. Uh, if I had a million dollars that everybody could sing on, but it's not like their peers did not come out to support them uh, during this great honor. So if Sloan were to be inducted, I could imagine that so many would come out of, come out of the woodwork to really support them and to see them honored uh, on a big night like that. I I was going to say, I think that this is another kind of, factor that speaks in the favor of the band and i'm not sure if this is something that the powers that be uh, actually take into take into consideration when inducting people into the canadian music hall of fame but you know the band's influence on sort of those around them over the course of the years and especially in the 90s and early 2000s but since then i think it's also been recognized that sloan is a band's band um, and they have done so much to bolster the music scene, um, not just around murder records and the Halifax scene in, in the 90s, but, you know, since then as well. Um, I know in sports Hall of Fames, there's like the builder category, right? And you get inducted as a builder. And I think that that sort of builder gene is very much um, in in the DNA of of the greatest band of all time. So I'm not sure if this is something that you know, those who decide are taking it into consideration, but you just need to look at the wonderful work that's come out of the Murder Records catalog to kind of understand how important that band is for an entire sound in Canadian indie rock and, and rock music since since the 1990s. Yeah, like like the Tea Party didn't start their own label yeah. and bring everybody around them up. You know, like you look at... Carney Lake Road, painting a room, the lyrics of that song, that's almost the story of this band, you know, and they looked at the community around them and they brought everybody up along with them to their level. And uh, so proudly Canadian, promoting Canadian music, which is what the Junos are all about. I mean, Sloan have been doing that longer than most, and in the in most cases, doing it where others aren't, you know. So the the, the, the reasons to, end, to uh, honor them with the Hall of Fame are overwhelming, uh, so it's just a matter, I think, of getting the message out there. So, Emily, what would you say, uh, what would be next steps in terms of getting the message out there? Obviously, you have the Instagram account. Anybody who's been listening to the show, we've mentioned it off the top of the show numerous times. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on next steps and how can we get the word out there? What, what's, how do we make this groundswell happen? At this point, I'm just going to continue with the Instagram account. If people want to keep sharing that, please do. Um, but specifically with the with what I'm doing on Instagram, I'm hoping to kind of um, build that out a little bit over the next couple of months. Um, conf- as a confirmation, I'm going to be seeing the band. I'm covering 
their show in Halifax. Nice. So we're talking about murder records and that groundswell that really came up from Halifax. I'm actually going to go out to that show and that's going to be the show that I'm going to review for Canadian Beats, which is the blog that I write for. Um, and that just, first off, it ticks off uh, something off my bucket list to go and see Sloan at home and to see what I want to know what that is to see them on home turf. It's one thing to see them in Toronto. You'll have to let us know. (laughs) It's one thing to see them in Toronto where they do have their friends and their family and it's where they live. But this is, I I would assume that it'll be just a little bit different from, excuse me, an audience perspective. Um, And then, of course, I'm going to go see them in Montreal. Um, And, of course, here in Ottawa, which will be fantastic um and what i'm asking is if um if you hear this podcast and you know who i am um i'm slightly hard to miss because i'm the little short woman that's usually in the front of the stage trying to get pictures um but come say hi i would love to get a quote from you and to do like a little to show people um if you don't mind me taking your picture to add that to the um to uh, my posts on Instagram so that people can see who who the Sloan fans really are and who are the most passionate. Um, I would really like to do that. And I'm uh, also hoping that, um, excuse me, all of my, um, the Juno applications have gone through, so I can't confirm anything yet. But hopefully I'm going to be in Alberta around the same time that Sloan's in Alberta. So if there's, uh, if those paths collide, I would love to continue doing that out West. That's the next step. Um, I I do have a new development on the uh, just the broader front. Live 88.5 here in Ottawa totally has picked up that I'm doing this. So they've been really promoting it on, on Live 88.5 here. Fantastic. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to do something potentially awesome. with them as well to really get the word out. This uh, For me, this really has to come from us, the fans. Um, and I know that Totally. Obviously, we love them. The media does love them as well. So if we can really get on the um, on the radar of the radio stations, uh, even some of the writers and the photographers like me that are out there, I hope that's that'll be yeah. at least keep the conversation going at this point. Um, and then from there, uh, hopefully, can uh, if. Nothing happens this year, then obviously nothing's happening this year because Nickelback is the one that's going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I don't finally. That. Finally, here's here's the one. Here's here's <laughs> my slight Nickelback rant. I do understand that they belong in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. I absolutely do. Not yet, though. It shouldn't have been yet. It, it could have waited. Sure. Because their big hit came out when I was. I guess. In high I mean, school. are they going to do the, the? I hope they don't do the song about "I love you with your pants around your <laughs> ankles" or whatever. That would be, put a damper on the proceedings. I think they'll just do "Hi, you remind me." But anyway, um, how'd you how'd you guys get the name? I worked at Starbucks. Um, anyway, but yeah, but anyway. I mean Nickelback, whatever. Uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off mid Nickelback rant. Or That's okay. I could really go My, on, but uh, I, and funny enough, you remember that much music uh, video awards from 2002 and Sloan yes. give them the award or whatever? It's so funny seeing it's like the Beatles giving like the fucking garbage <laughs> pail kids an award or something. But uh, anyway, I, I think a really a thing on- that we can all do as listeners here would be to 
it's kind of a lost art, you know, requesting music, you know, like in, in whether it be in Toronto and Indy 88 or something, places that play Sloan all the time. I think it'd be worthwhile if anybody out there is listening and you listen to the radio or you feel like being proactive, like I think that, that we win here by keeping this topic in the ether, you know, just keep it out there and uh, get people talking about it, you know, whether that be calling into a radio station or emailing them and saying, hey, I want to hear, you know, Magical Thinking by Sloan or whatever the song is. Sloan for Canadian Music Hall of Fame, just adding it in there, you know, and, and putting it when you post about the, about the band on Instagram or whatever, mention Canadian Music Hall of Fame. And, you know, at some point, somebody's going to see this and they're going to hear the chatter about it. And the people who make the decisions on, you know, I don't know if it'll reach their ears directly, but I, I like the idea of it being sort of in the ether, as you were saying earlier, like a groundswell natural support. Yeah, uh, that was that was the entire intent of the original uh like social media campaign that uh, I created last year. Um, it did kind of get pushed by the wayside just from my own busyness. Um, and I also kind of believe the, uh, the project kind of got a little bit nerfed right off the bat because I put that petition out um, the same week as um, protests started happening here in Ottawa. And I just didn't want to be on social media after about three weeks. <laughs> It, it was a time it was it was it was a time but um over the year like i have had those little pockets of people absolutely chatting about it i got alan cross in on it um which got quite a few extra s- signatures to the to the list there i saw that paul myers had signed it at one point and todd kearns from age of electric awesome. Love it. um so killer you know if Little little bits like this. If it if it takes another year, or so that's that's fine. We all get to keep talking about our favorite band of all time. Totally, it's great. I mean, the the band is out there; they're doing their thing. I mean, so people are talking about them in general, and so whether it be people like Paul Myers or whoever, uh, you know, when they're talking about them, you know, perhaps in the conversation. Oh, and by the way, did you see that thing about there should be in the Hall of Fame? That that should actually happen. That's the real thing because this is not one of those things where it's like. Oh, Sloan for the Hall of Fame, because wouldn't that be nice, you know, to get him in there? It, like, nobody fucking deserves this more than those guys, if anybody. I would say they're beyond the Hall of Fame. Like, they're at the level of, you know, bless the Hall of Fame and all that. But, I mean, like, Sloan are, like, an amazing, immaculate, perfect band, obviously, we think so. Greatest band of all time, according to this podcast, and, to some, and, and you know, others. But, um you know, so it's not as though they need it for validation or anything like that. But I mean, the Hall of Fame could use them. And as we were saying before we started recording, you know, Sloan might not be the band that that garners you know a hundred thousand people to tune in on TV, but they're definitely the feel good story. Like when you see it, it's something that people will talk about. It's like the firemen rescuing the kid from the burning building or whatever. You know, everybody's going to see them and go, "Oh yeah, those guys." If they don't already remember who they are. And it'll be that feel-good thing of like, yeah, 30 years, all four original members. They still sound great. They look great. Fuck yeah, these guys are amazing. And they're proudly Canadian, slightly Irish as well. So, uh, you know, tons of – the reasons are overwhelming to, inter- into, to induct them, obviously. Yeah. But as I, was always, as I was also saying too, like it's also an opportunity for us fans to really, to really pour that love out. Like there's not a whole lot else we can do to – I, in my opinion, like this just feels natural and something that we, the fans, can really give and to show our love towards this band and this music that has inspired us in more ways than probably anybody can really count at, at this point. Um, 
just it's just that that groundswelling of love that I really want to give to the band that I you know as a non-musician this is my way to do it and I think it's going to be or it's able to really put um or give everybody else that's in the same boat the chance to really give back it's a fantastic initiative. I uh, love the idea of reinvigorating some of that with uh, just adding, as you said, Rob, just adding that hashtag to anywhere we talk about Sloan with anybody. I really feel as though that's just one way of making sure that we can start to crowdsource this uh, this nomination. And uh, frankly, if the crew cuts can be in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, I mean, come on. <laughs> I was wor- I was worried. Were you going to mention the crew cuts or not? I'm glad you did. So, what's the I official mean, hashtag that we can share here to get all the soldiers in in, in a row? So it's hashtag Sloan for CMHF Sloan for Canadian Music Hall of Fame. So yeah, yeah. Let's do it, guys. Anyway, like I said, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. We'll be happy to hear from you again if you have any reports from the road or uh, any other stories to follow up with. We'd, lo- we'd love to hear about it. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's support this cause. And thank you again for joining us. And thank you for having me. We now return to our regularly scheduled action-packed programming already in progress. This is a bellwether for this band where I really feel like they were going through a period of adjustment and flux and they are kind of, uh, like I kind of count this album in with that sort of middle 2000s period and not so much even pretty together. Like I feel it's completely apart from that. It's completely apart from Never Hear the End of It, obviously, in every way, musically, sonically, you know, everything that surrounded the recording of, of the record. And uh, I've always been a big fan of this album. And every once in a while, you know, whether it's somebody on podcast or, you know, somebody on a message board or something, I would from time to time get the impression like, oh, maybe this isn't everybody's favorite. I know Jay for for a website ranked the records and he put it dead last. You know, and that could have just been the fact that, you know, maybe there's no Andrew and it doesn't necessarily follow the Sloan formula as we know it generally like the sort of one chord to another sound or you know never hear the end of it steady even like these classic albums that have this sort of classic sound it's very different it's certainly an outlier in some ways yes but when you listen to it just on its own like it really is the sound of that band live at the time and and we're going to talk about the documentary that kevin hilliard did keeping the tour alive Mm. which is suspiciously not on youtube anymore by the way um Mm. who knows what that means but anyway uh (laughs) we are in an anniversary year so perhaps something's coming down the pipe who knows but uh you know speaking of his documentary when you see the guys live in that documentary they are album perfect you know note for note right. and and also we're going to get into that because i think the album was constructed half, to be that half toned down but note for note yeah sure you would know better than me in that regard but yeah like <laughs> but uh, but the album is so constructed for what that band sounded like live at the time yes. and played to everybody's strengths and so more so than the other records where they were sort of like, you know, preparing demos alone and the song would kind of be one guy's project, like the Andrew songs are very classically all him, you know. Whereas Action Packed, when we'll talk about this more through, as we get through the episode, it's everybody in their primary live position performing. So Chris is playing bass, Patrick and Jay play the guitars, Andrew plays mm-hmm. drums, and the primary singers who wrote the songs 
Patrick, Chris, Jay are the singers on the record. Andrew, of course, not having a song. He just plays drums. Um, That's right. And so, yeah, so it's the outlier in that way. And you know what? And I've always loved the record. It's To me, it's the one I put on when I want to get like pumped up or if I'm driving or something yes. like that. Because it's just fueled with so much energy. It's so raw and just like powerful sounding. You know, carries, even though I think for some of the guys like Jay and whatnot, they might not have as much of an ACDC, you know, vibe or whatever. It has that quality, you know, it has that sort of like, yeah. just like straight ahead rock quality. And as Patrick said at times, I'm going on and on here, Jesus Christ. Patrick said, as Patrick said in 2003, they kind of wanted to have a stripped down sound, basic. And then Chris's joke was, you know, just music like ACDC married with harmonies, you know, like two and three part harmony. <laughs> and then they realized, oh, you know, face palm, that's already Def Leppard or whatever. So that's Def Leppard. But, uh, but, but truthfully, um, give me Sloan over Def Leppard any day. You can burn the Def Leppard oh, discography as, as far I mean, as I can fucking care. Yeah. Our our drum our drummer has twice the talent and twice the arms oh, of Def Leppard's drummer. You went there. You went there. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> way more arms. But uh, anyway, yeah. So that's kind of for me. That's sort of why it's an outlier. But but again, listening to it in this week, preparing for this episode, it just struck me again how great this album is, and especially yeah. in the context of having a record like the new one, like Sloan Steady, where it's, Mm -hmm. and you know, we've talked about this a little bit, where you can kind of draw a straight line between them. You know, they both start with a banger of a Chris song. They both close with Jay. They're both Mm -hmm. simple and sort of stripped down a little bit, like Patrick was referring to. No frills, like the songs are all pretty tight. We don't have anything that's like, you know, 44 Teenagers or like 48 Portraits or anything like that. And I love those tracks, God, and and they have their place on those records. But this one is like, where steady is sort of a punch and like, I feel like action packed and steady are two fists on the same body and they're both just yes. a jab to the chin, you know, like just bam yeah. and they hit yeah. you and they fucking rule. And um, yeah. yeah. And sort of live un- unto themselves, you know, like I don't even put steady, even though some of the songs, I know at least one of the songs was intended for 12 dream it all over again, but mm. I put steady in a class on its own. I feel with Sloan steady, we're in like a new Sloan era now. You know what I mean? I don't know if you feel that sure. way. And I think action packed at the time, action packed at the time was its own little mini era for sure. Absolutely. I mean, every Sloan album has its own place in the catalog. It has its own character. Like the band has been relentless in trying to give each piece of its studio output its own meaning and as a result, you know, no two albums in the band's discography are alike. And if you think about it, like if the band had said with twice removed, like, guys, this is our sound. This is our final style. That's it. That's what we're going to sound like from now on. There would be little to no impetus in continuing to produce new music, not just by this stage in their career, but even 10 years out, which is what we're talking about with Action Pact. You know, the band was just over 10 years old. It was 11 years old. When this was conceived. Right. And that being said, you know, Action Pact takes on a special meaning within the Sloan catalog. If you, if you think back to like step into your time machine and go back to 2001, 2002, and how both Sloan fans and the music press reacted to the release of Pretty Together, yeah. you can remember that like the album was both applauded by super fans and by, you know, the real ones. And but it was also kind of derided, you know, fans of the harder edged one chord to another, fans of some of the band's earlier output felt probably kind of lost listening to Life of a Working Girl or Are You Giving Me Back My Love? Um, you know, at the same time, 
I think that the band was also unsure of what to make of Pretty Together and its reception themselves, right? Like both both in Canada and abroad. While if you think about the other man, like the singles that came out, the other man, if it feels good, do it. They received plenty of airtime on Canadian airwaves. Right. I'm not sure that either of these singles nor the album's performance in the U.S. really lived up to the expectations of both RCA, which was the U.S. distributor at the time, uh-huh. or Sloan. And it, like, to me, it seems as though Pretty Together was Sloan's foray into this radio-friendly world of songwriting and production uh-huh. that the band might have thought it could tame and it could master. But I think that you know it ended up kind of outstaying its welcome in that style. So as a result, like Ash Impact seems like a logical reaction to Pretty Together. You have, you still have this label behind you and Sony BMG and then it's US subsidiary and, or it's the other way around, but RCA being the distributor, distributor in the States, um, at least at the time when Ash Impact was being conceived, you have this, you have this label that's willing to throw money at the concept of a new slow up, Sloan album every two years. Yeah. And so going out there and creating this kind of radio-friendly album with a producer that's very true to Sloan's strengths seems logical, right? And then you yeah. have this result, like you were talking about this earlier, um, but it's it's really interesting to listen to Pretty Together, Action Packed, and then Never Hear the End of It in, in, in that order. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the first two albums, you know, where Pretty Together is whimsical and meandering, Action Packed is just really curt and straightforward Mm -hmm. uh, where pretty together tries to kind of push the envelope maybe in terms of what sloan is allowed to do on their albums with electronics and strings and this really big reverb landscape like ash impact is dry it's hi-fi it's in the pocket it's in your face I think importantly, we're pretty together and songs like, are you giving me back my love? Pick it up and dial it. Like were near impossible to reproduce live. Action Pact was fucking written for the stage. Like this is a plug and play album and it translated to this amazing tour, right? Yeah. So it's a really interesting place and time in the band's history. And, you know, I think we can probably dote on that for hours, you know, both of us having reached our peak fandom by this time, I'm assuming. I mean, you, you'd already been on, on TV with a band by this time. <laughs> uh, so you were part of, you were part of the inner circle, but I would love like, where was your headspace as a Sloan fan in like 2002, 2003? Yeah. Well, I mean. We'll get back to this, I'm sure. I mean, the band were obviously themselves playing a ton. Like, if you look up the shows they played in 2002, they're just all over the place all the time. And we'll get to that in a second, because this is just the preamble, folks. But where was I? And you know what? Right before I get to where was I, I was just thinking as you were saying that, it's almost inconceivable that Pretty Together, Action Packed, and Never Hear the End of It are the albums that rub shoulders with each other. Like, you imagine, you know, your dreams have come true. And if you just play the albums in order, that the next thing you're hearing is, give me that, Right. And like, what the fuck? And you close with fade away, and the next thing you hear is flying high again. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't have. It's, just, it's unreal. You've gone from dreams have come true, you know, to something as powerful as give me that or fade away, and then to flying high again. And while those things feel so different, and they are really different, you know, you see them all in the context of a show. Like the band could play any of those four songs in any order now, and they wouldn't seem out of place in the slightest. That's this band. They have that power. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they have that ability to 
go from every extreme, whether it be junior Panthers on one chord to like, you know, reach out on action pack, you know, those are, and in beyond that, you know, but I mean, like in terms of sonically, they go to those extremes and it all fits under one roof and all makes sense together. And it's all the same band. It's not like, oh, that's their reggae right. album or that's their electronic album. They keep enough integrity musically and stylistically that the over the course of the entire discography, it just makes sense. And I think we've kind of hit onto something here because even with smeared twice removed one chord, as much as there's some sonic changes there, you know, one could argue that TR and, and one chord to another are similar-ish, you know, find a different triad of albums than pretty together action-packed and never hear the end of it they're completely different and they're going in completely different directions yeah. and they're all fucking great Agreed. you know um but well, what was yeah. i up to blah 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 i obviously pretty together was so huge when it came out and i remember at the time feeling validated obviously i'd been there for the one chord tour and navy blues was fucking huge but pretty together yeah. i was working retail at the time and it really felt like there's a real groundswell support for these guys and i was happy for them it's like mm-hmm. you know feels good do it was massive 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 and yeah. if you weren't around in 2001 watching much music you know the song was on constantly it was on the radio constantly that video was humongous and then followed up obviously within that year by the other man but a huge huge album and um with action packed it's not as though i'd forgotten about the band when when it came out obviously we did we don't have social media didn't have social media rather than we had the internet and we had the sloan message board and stuff and i think i may have had some clue that the, that the new record was coming but i remember it being kind of like a surprise like it came somebody posted about it it's like oh here it is and you can go to amazon or like you you mentioned mm-hmm. or you were talking about earlier you could go to the vic website and play little 30 second yeah. clips of the songs and that was my introduction i remember i had i'd had my uh wizard teeth taken out and i was at home just feeling like the shits and was so Mm -hmm. down and i remember finding the link to it and going and hearing the clips and i couldn't believe there was a a new sloan album and b that i could listen to clips from it and that it sounded so fucking awesome i was just like oh my god this is like it's so polished and the songwriting is so good and the singing is so great no 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 anyway that's the preamble I want to just quickly give a shout out here at the top of the show before we really dive deep. Not only to our friends, eight hour episode. Not only to our friends in the Sloan selection, but a new podcast that's making waves: Sloan A to Z, starring superfans Jeff and his son Nathan. They chat about the band, and they're doing it alphabetically. Everybody, so for whatever reason you're unaware of this podcast, you can find it on any virtually any platform by typing in Sloan A dash Z. they're still in the A's as of this recording and they probably will be for a while, but yeah, a fun concept. They're just sort of alphabetically going through each song and they take about half an hour to chat about it from the fan perspective and they give their thoughts on it. Um, They've certainly mentioned us already on the show and we appreciate that. Thank you for listening guys. So check those dudes out. Being that Nathan is 12 years old and they actually talk about this in the first episode, he just got into the band like within the past year or so. What generation would he be, Ken? If you think of like, you know, Smeared Air as oh first, God. second would be like, what, what did we say? Like Octa or no, a second TR? Yeah. Well, I think 12 years ago was when the Double Cross came out. So <laughs> is he like generation? So the third generation. I want to say generation starts. next, like Pepsi or whatever. But <laughs> Right. Generation next. We'll find a creative name that is like Generation 3B or something because, you know, Generation 3 having started in 2006, which is 15 years. Oh, God. 
17 years ago yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, there has to be there has to be a better term we'll, we'll figure that out and we'll get back to you nathan but anyway i wanted to give a quick shout out to those guys but uh, and obviously sloan for canadian music hall of fame on instagram you've heard us talking to emily but uh, if you haven't checked it out go there and and by the way everybody if you're posting about sloan or whatever if you're posting your photos from the shows or, you know, pictures of yourself playing the record or just any sort of appreciation stuff, you know, mention in there, you know, Sloan for Hall of for Canadian Music Hall of Fame. And let's just keep that conversation going and see what happens. It's, uh, you know, why not? Yes. But uh, anyway, Ken, my friend. So it's 2003. It's August. Yes. Where is your yes. head at? Oh, my God. Well, I'm trying to think of if I had seen the band perform in the first half of 2003, I don't think so. I'll have to go back into my into my uh, set list FM. I was at this show list, um, but I, I recall at this time in my life, I was big into the Sloan message board, right? Um, and I was on the mailing list, the band's mailing list, and it was when I really feel as though after Pretty Together was when I really got into my interactive fandom with other fans and meeting other fans and going to shows and and kind of getting into that community. So for me, it was maybe the, with Pretty Together, it was maybe the second album that I really strongly anticipated. If you think back to like Navy Blues, which was when I was really just getting into the band, I had Okta, but Navy Blues was when like my fandom solidified. Between the Bridges happened like right right away. You didn't have time to think. And all of a sudden they had this live album out and then they had Between the Bridges out. And it was kind of like, you know, you couldn't even breathe between those between those moments in time. For me, it felt like the gap between Pretty Together and Action Pact felt like forever. You know, it had to do with my age at the time, but it was two years. Like it wasn't even two years between yeah. those two albums. It just felt like Camp. Okay, I've been waiting for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, I think as 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 is the case with some of these, when you're when you're with a label at this point in time in music history, they want you to release an album every two years. So 2002 was, um, as you were mentioning, a pretty interesting year. I remember the summer festival circuit having been very good that year, and I saw one of my favorite Sloan shows of all time in the summer of 2002 in Gananoque, Ontario at the Festival of the Islands. I feel like the band was really getting into its kind of muscular aesthetic peak, if you will, on stage, really firing on all cylinders. Like The band by this point in time was an incredible live band. That was undeniable. And had a charisma to it because it wasn't the new kid on the block anymore and it didn't have to really prove anything anymore, at least in Canada. So their stage confidence was through the roof and it was really coming into a league of its own. If you think about like where rock music was at, at least in Canada in the early 2000s, new metal, uh, whatever Sum 41 was, sort of weird commercial punk stuff coming out and then you have like the first rumblings of this underground indie culture that would take you know that kind of went on the heels of some of those 90 band 90s bands so broken social scene being i think at this point in time the pioneer in this regard mm-hmm. those were sort of things that i wasn't keenly aware of at the time i think i knew that it was happening and i think i knew that there were people out there doing kind of new stuff but my focus was Sloan. My focus was this band is kind of doing something special. Yeah. So I admit I don't think I've ever heard a broken social scene song like front to back. 
Well, they're, they are have, 38 minutes long, you know. It's yeah. like, <laughs> and that's the same amount of members they have. I've also, I mean, I've certainly heard the beginning of a Broken Social Scene song, but just sure. couldn't make it to the end for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, sure, like By Divine Right for me was something like end of the 90s, yeah, that, yeah, that sure. phase of like indie underground, which was a little bit different. And then Broken Social Scene kind of came in with their weird instrumentation. And that I think really did influence a lot of the bands that Sloan were contemporaries of and the bands that Sloan were adjacent to. I think it also speaks to the fact that Sloan is a timeless act yeah. that they didn't kind of conform to that mold and they kind of took Action Packed and Pretty Together in a completely different direction. And um, you you also have bands who were kind of getting bigger who were genuinely inspired at the kid age by the original Sloan lineup, like the original records and stuff. Like you've got Broken Social Scene, The Stills, death from above yeah. like i think you can take a survey of those bands and you'll find like even the a band like the deers like you'll find yeah. hardcore sloan fans amongst those members yes absolutely um and so it was, an, it was an interesting time being a canadian music fan rock music was still a big thing right i mean today god i'm gonna age myself here well it's not this isn't necessarily true for just now it's been true for 20 years at least but hip-hop is is what rock music was for people of our generation and earlier for today's kids and today's youth for good reason because this is where the like this is where the new stuff is coming this is where creativity is coming from this is where corporate the corporate music world wants to be pouring its money into because the artists are marketable because it's kind of shape-shifting but it's also kind of disruptive we're not really getting that in rock music in 2023. Like who who's out there disrupting shit in the rock music world right now and making big waves in pop culture? Nobody, right? So yeah. in 2003, it was still a bit of a different scene. I think that there were still disruptors out there. I think that rock music still had sort of a prescience with the youth and I heard a lot more rock music. Wow. Um, well, we'd also had so, like, you know, the sort of blast of the strokes the white stripes the vines yeah. the hives yeah. like all the, the all the the bands you know like right uh yeah yeah so it was um it was a different different time and i think that that allowed for a little bit more enthusiasm and potentially also a little bit more hope in a band like sloan that maybe we do still have a chance to make it big Right. Like maybe we do still have a chance to take our shot in the States. Um, maybe if Sony believes in us, they'll put money in the right places and we'll finally get our breakthrough on US radio airwaves. Right. Which, if you think about it now, if Sloan was a band 10 years in, into its career in 2023, good fucking luck getting onto US radio air. What like radio doesn't exist anymore, really? Like, yeah, good luck. Yeah breaking through the freaking Spotify charts or whatever, you know, you have to really be lucky nowadays. So I think uh -huh. that the impetus behind the album was the right one. And it reflects in a really interesting kind of creative approach. If you think about Pretty Together being an album produced and performed and recorded entirely in the band's practice space, it took like two years to make. Like Pretty Together had a super long gestation period. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine Sony's like, guys, uh, great, love the output, whatever. Productions are, you know, okay, whatever. But like, we don't have this much money to spend on you to promote something that you know or anticipate something that is taking this long to create. Like, we need an album now. And so we're going to give you this amount of money to go find someone to help you make this album, to tie up your shoestrings a little bit tighter and, 
you know, to hit the ground running with. So pick a producer, go record it, but you don't have another, you know, three, four years to, to get this done. And I think the band and label and all parties involved <clears throat> probably shared the same notion, which is, you know, let's strike while the iron's hot. Like Sloan are mm-hmm. commercially really hot right now. Let's just get to it. You know, there is no, I mean, obviously the band between Between the Bridges live album and Pretty Together, they kind of were working at their own pace because they could in a way, you know. Now they'd had so much success coming out of the nineties. And um, so that's sort of where they're at. You know, I think all parties involved, like I said, are are wanting to have something kind of turn around a little quicker. Going back to what I was saying earlier, I think of the quote from the documentary, I drove 3,400 miles to see this band, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a quality. This band has people doing that. You know what I mean? And there are, and there are bands that are bigger and smaller or whatever that don't have people, augmenting their lives greatly to make a point to see them and to this day this band does like there are people who follow this band around and people who travel mm-hmm. great lengths to see them mm-hmm. and i mean we can sort of you know get intellectual about why exactly that is but you know i think it has a combination to do with you know the certain magnetism of each member you know their story has endeared for so long all original members you know for another point but most of all there's the music timeless perfect music and those four Mm. distinct voices you know and so for me that's sort of what has carried them through and those elements are present here hugely you know even though we've got you know we're in a different country we're working with a producer for the first time since 94 those things all shine through and i really think that those elements you know they played a part and we'll get into this as well later you know with with tom rothrock the producer being the one to select the songs and to sort of maybe produce them and you know occurs to me that perhaps i don't know how much producing was going on other than perhaps just the way things sound other than or rather than artistic decisions you know um, right. I, don't, I, I can't see rothrock telling andrew what the fucking play like you know like what are you, <laughs> you going to say to that guy so <clears throat> you know so i what i what i want to say and kind of getting back to your original point, which is, you know, what would, a, what would an action pact produced by Sloan have sounded like? I would venture to suggest where their heads were at at the time and what their focus was. I would say it wouldn't have sounded that much different. No, I, mean? I, I think, like, I think, I think I th- you're right. Yeah, they had a vested interest in, you know, we're being given money by BMG. We're going to be on RCA, whatever in the States is the plan. Plans go awry. But, and, and, you know, we want to give as have a, have a have as best a foot forward as possible, essentially. You know, yeah. and you know, yeah. whereas Chris have, could have made "Rest of My Life" sound like autobiography, you know, they're 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 kind of cousin songs. He mm-hmm. decided to like turn it up to eleven, and you know, just rate one of the greatest bangers and fucking hugest hits of their whole career. Um, just yeah. as an example, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Jay could have had you know some Smiths your guitar parts on his tracks or whatever. But everybody kind of yeah. like got into the same clown car and said, we're all going to go in the same direction with, we're going to make the same, we're going to make similar sonic decisions, um, you know, and anyway, this all kind of pours out of the band all kind of playing their primary instruments as, as well. But anyway, not sure if you had any thoughts on that, but anyway, what I'm saying is that I, magic that existed 20 years ago, which at the yeah. time, like you said, was already like over a decade into their career. I remember the live at much in 2001, feeling like feeling old like oh my god they've been around for 10 years whoa Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. here we are 30 years on the record we're talking about today which by the way and this will be my sort of mantra for the whole episode is go listen to action packed you who's listening right now 
even if you stop now, you can keep listening or whatever, but make a plan at some point soon, if you haven't done it recently, to listen to this fucking album because it's so fucking awesome and, mm. and hang with it. If you hear something where you're just like, oh, you know, listen to the whole thing. And we're going to talk about this later. I keep saying that. But like the fucking drumming on this record is really is a reason to listen to it unto itself. Yeah. It's a fucking yeah. clinic. Okay. Um, yes. But uh, that magic that existed 20 years ago when they made this record is still alive and more vibrant than ever today. Even like we're seeing these mm-hmm. videos come in of the steady tour and they look and sound as fucking vital as they did 20 years ago. You know, so that's sort of where we're, maybe that whole thing right there was the preamble, but I wanted to touch on Ken, unless you wanted to add to that, a bit of history. No, let's dive in. Great. So 2001's Pretty Together had been a giant album, obviously, and not only in in terms of like length and musical variety, they were over 12 songs, you know, here, I want to say for Mm -hmm. the first time, because Navy Blues is 13, but you know, it feels good. Sorry. What am I trying to say here? Feels Good and Other Man had been like legit radio hits, like for sure. Mm -hmm. And the band had been touring like crazy. They're riding the crest of success. To me, it felt like a new band at that point. I was kind of saying that earlier. Mm -hmm. Even though, if you think about it, Four Nights at the Palais Royale is like a little over a year earlier. And they feel like a completely different band. It's almost, and I know that they've talked about this, that Palais Royale was kind of them leaving the 90s and the 90s in a way, you know? Sure. We're going to play all of our smeared songs sort of in the style of One Chord and Navy Blues. Uh, they're, they're still going to be exercising demons and putting out Between the Bridges. But I mean, honestly, the live album for me is sort of like the book being closed on that period. Even though it's mm-hmm. after it, I include Between the Bridges in that period. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's very... Yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Um, and within a year, they're this new band. They're pretty together, Sloan. Yeah. And yeah. There's, a, there's a sleekness and a sheen. And I think you were touching on this earlier, you know, a variety. Yeah. They're touring like crazy, like I said. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. So, so, so Pretty Together came out on RCA in the U.S., as you were saying. Which ultimately, and I will give props to our to our, our guy Murph, who helped me with some notes on this. So I am kind of quoting him warmly in some regard. But so Pretty Together comes out on RCA in the States. This inspires BMG Canada to put some serious money into the next release, okay, to kind of help bolster support in the US, yeah. so on and so forth. And so for the first few months of 2003, they're recording the record, and Clive Davis takes over RCA in the States. And Ipso facto, a lot of the artists on the label, pretty much everybody gets dropped, yeah. okay? Yeah. But since the, since Action Pact, I don't know if it's called that yet, and we'll talk about the title in just a second, because that's cool too. Since the album essentially was budgeted by BMG Canada, recording continues as planned, although it's not clear you know, whether it, they're going to get a sizable release push or whatever, yeah. you know, the plans that they'd had. And the album is ultimately released... August 19th on BMG in Canada and came out on Koch Entertainment in the U.S. as opposed to mm. uh, as opposed to RCA. RCA. So yeah. Koch is a smaller label, but they're certainly present in the states. I definitely have some Koch like best of the 80s mixes on cassette in my basement, so I'm very familiar with the label. But I think it was eventually bought out by like Entertainment One, like E1 or whatever. So that's where the label is today. But anyway, so that's how that that's how the the cookie crumbled in that regard. We should let's talk about it real quick. The album title. I remember yeah. on Much East, Murph at the time saying to Mike Campbell, "Oh, it's a Jellyfish Babies reference." And for years, mm. I would look for this reference. Right. Like, you know, is it a song title? Is it a lyric? I couldn't find anything 
I have one of the Jellyfish Babies records. Yeah. yeah, and I remember buying it, A, because it's a reference that's, that Chris talks about. But I thought, oh, maybe there's a lyric in here where they talk about Youth Action Pact or whatever, which is mm. the song title, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that they took the title from. But it turns out, our buddy Chris helped me out with this as well. There was a 1985 tape by Jellyfish Babies, or that included their songs, rather. And one of the songs right. was Youth Action Pact. And I think and it was- you didn't find that in 2003? Come on, Rob. Yeah, exactly. Trade in your fan card. <laughs> oh, God, I feel like such a fucking failure. But anyway, so Youth Action Pact, I think the song was sort of, according to the poster here, perhaps inspired by a real local group of people taking action and protesting and doing food drives and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so they have mm-hmm. a little write up here on one of their posters from CKDU that says youth action pact is a non hierarchical. Thanks guys. Organization committed to nonviolent direct action. We have become involved because we fi- we felt it is a way to channel our feelings of frustration and anger about living in a world constantly threatened by its total annihilation into positive energy and hope. Man, does that sound like kind of, Nothing's changed. Some of our previous actions as organizers or participants include Can Food Run for Hope, Cottage, Stickers for International, uh, No Business as Usual Day. I guess that's like where you don't buy anything or whatever that day. Right, right. Uh, a die-in, which I guess Chris was explaining, this is where they would like lay on the ground and like outline the body in chalk to represent, you know, like right. the crimes of war and stuff. And if you're it does inter- sound like something that a youth action pact would do. Yes, it's yeah, yeah, totally. I think their heads are in the right place. Billy, Billy, are you going to be at the die-in on the weekend? Yeah, I don't know if I would have been die-in to get there anyway. (laughs) I think I had to wash my hair that day. But anyway, (laughs) if if your interests are similar, join us in planning. You know, further actions. There are similar groups in this area that you might want to check out. Start your own. It says. Anyway, so that's that's where the title of ultimately came from. That group inspired the Jellyfish Baby song. Mm. Chris is obviously a huge Jellyfish Babies fan and knows them. He, mm. he wants to be their mm. drummer, for fuck's sake. He should be their drummer. But he wouldn't have been in Sloan, so who knows. And so then, so he takes Youth Action Pack, tops, chops the youth off, and there we go. Action Pack, there's the title, everybody. Thank um, you for that color. I was unaware of the contents of that flyer, but now it all makes sense. And it really does kind of sound like the basis for writing Backstabbing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I feel I felt like such a loser earlier because I was like remembering that it was that reference on Much Music from like 20 years ago. And then I go to Wikipedia and it's literally in the first fucking sentence. I'm just like, oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Well, everybody knows. Yeah. It's old news. But, uh, you know, yeah. so, so the band, you know, they they get through September 2001, the album's out, Pretty Together I'm referring to. 2002, as I said earlier, is just lots of touring. You know, they get back mm-hmm. to Japan. We see some fashionable evidence of this per Patrick's outfit in the rest of my life video. Go check it out. Um, and mm-hmm. they, play, they play live pretty much all year. 2002 is just playing live. They're playing live every month, a lot of the dates out of the month. So pretty much the entire year, it's their sort of primary position. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And so, and so, yeah, so, so that's kind of where they're at in 2002. And I'm sure there must be demos hanging around or whatever in this time, because obviously by, by early 2003, they have recorded demos for the whole thing. They've taken, hmm. can you tell me, I mean, how many songs that they have prepared for this thing? Like 30, 35 to 40 tracks was what they presented Tom Rothrock with. Yeah. Um, it might be worth now having that discussion about Tom Rothrock. It might be really interesting to bring this character up. Yes. And I think that, you know, this is a man who, in many ways, when you think about like a producer in the world of Sloan, like, of course, Jim Rondinelli did stuff on Twice Removed. Like, he might have shifted a few 
knobs on the mixing board by a few dbs and he might have you know contributed some thoughts here and there to instrumentation but by and large when sloan was involving a producer i'm gonna say in quotation marks if you can't see me listeners (laughs) over the course of the years it was kind of like a mixing consultant more than it was i think someone who's contributing to the creative selection and to the instrumentation of of the songs like if i think about brendan mcguire i'm sure he had some really great ideas on uh synth lines in it's in your eyes right or he had probably some really great ideas for uh, how the bass should like himself being a bassist right like how the bass should sound on an andrew song or something i don't see him kind of meddling too much in sequencing and track selection i don't see him meddling too much in sort of like how guitars should sound and like the guitar tones and and whatever else. And I think it's a really bold step saying like, let's get a a high class producer with a name behind him. And Tom Rothrock, you know, produced Beck. He produced Elliot Smith. Like he produced uh, Badly Drawn Boy. Like he's, that's at that point in time, that's about as big of a name as you can get. And they were going after like Rick Ocasek. They were going after Adam Schlesinger and ultimately it became Tom Rothrock, who was not a fan of a lot of the bands that Sloan were fans of. Like Tom Rothrock was basically a metalhead. He yeah. I think the common ground for 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 between Tom and, and the group, or at least between Patrick and Tom, was ACDC. Like that was the common DNA that they could settle on. Yeah. Or a band um, like the Toadies or Fu Manchu or something. Kind of like in something like that. Being of like Stoner Rock, that kind of thing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And so you know, here's a guy who doesn't have any real knowledge of the band Sloan and I think had seen them live at some point. And, yeah. you know, that was the, fir- the first acquaintance. And really that taking taking something that's been so kind of, I don't want to say insidious because that's like has a negative connotation, but taking something like Sloan that's been in its own kind of sphere and league in Canada for so long and been able to do what it really wants to do creatively as a band and, and saying like, okay, let's hand that off now to somebody who's coming at this from a a neutral perspective and just see what he has to say. That's a really bold move. And what he had to say was like, your guys' strengths are you're an awesome live group, you have good harmonies, and you have a fucking awesome drummer. Mm. Let's play to those strengths. And if you think about it, it's not a bad idea. If you listen to the output, and it's immediately apparent. Give me that. The first fucking 10 seconds of give me that exemplify the strengths of Sloan and exemplify the strengths of this album. You have awesome harmonies, you have a song that's incredible live, and you have an incredible drummer who's being highlighted in, in the mix yeah. and by the recording technique. So, you know, this was this was Tom Rothrock's approach. Another thing that he made the band do because of this quality, make it sound as though this is a chore. And I guess for the band, it could have been considering how kind of how insular each of the members would go about creating their songs and recording their songs prior to this. He told the band like, okay, you need to warm up with a jam session for, for each of our recording sessions. And we're recording these things live off the floor. Like if you, if you think about the band having come from pretty together where they were kind of noodling around in their rehearsal space and then coming up with the tracks separately, as, as has been the case since action packed, this is a huge, huge change, right? And I got to be honest, like I know that that must have been really annoying for the band at the time. And if not annoying, then perhaps kind of just 
uncomfortable because it's nothing that they were used to. I think the end product is fantastic. If you if you think about how how kind of the pace of the album works out, I'm sure that a lot of that is a result of just having had to play those things live off the floor. Yeah. You know, and as such, it's it's an album that's very yeah. What's the term that I'm looking for? It could be we could, like immediate. It's maybe? very sincere. Sincere, yeah. No, it's like super sincere. It's not trying to do things that it can't do, but it's focusing on the things that it can do really well. So like I was wrong. I was wrong is one of my favorite examples on this album of the formula for action packed. Really the guitar parts there aren't particularly challenging, but they sound fantastic. I'm not sure if this was Sloan's or Rothrock's creative decision, but I think that they probably recorded about 20 guitar tracks for that for that uh, for that song but the harmonies are so tight the vocal harmonies on that track are so tight the pace of that is fantastic the drumming is fantastic on that track and it's about you know two minutes and whatever 10 seconds long um so it takes you places I was going to say, I mean, for anybody who saw the band at the end of 2022 for that little run of shows, I Was Wrong was in the set list. And it was such a welcome yeah. surprise. Like, holy shit. Like, yeah. it sounded good yeah. every night. It has power. And, uh, you know, it was something that at the end of last year, not that I'm not ever thinking about Action Pact or have some adverse set reaction to listening to it, but hearing it live, I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, man, if this audience, I mean, obviously, when they play, they want to be as diverse as possible. And they've kind of got to hit all their big hits and whatnot. But you know, like, I don't know if conditions would ever be so in their in the 20th anniversary year of the album for them to play the whole thing, or at least to put some of those songs in a set list in the way that they have with some of the other reissues. But those songs are so powerful. And you know, even for the casual fan who's really only aware of like five top hits or whatever, to show up and hear those action pack songs, I mean, they deliver, they really deliver. And given the fact that the the album is so strong in that way, I mean, it does have more in common with like a Fu Manchu in terms of like the production, you know, the, production choices the way things sound you know like just the wall of yeah. guitar sound <clears throat> with the vocals over top of it you know it's funny the way rothrock kind of comes into the story so the word is the band had played with the strokes in 2002 a number of times and so rothrock sees that performance of sloan so he he's seeing what you were talking about earlier which is that hmm. new more muscular band like even if you look at the live shit from between the bridges into pretty together, they're a stronger, yeah. more muscular band by 2001, yeah. you know, like they've just been playing yeah. nonstop. They're just like a, or they're a rock machine and they're now playing songs that have more of a muscular feel to them. You know, things like feels sure. to do it and great feels wall. And yeah. yeah. Like anything like that. I even feel like songs like friendship didn't have as much of a bite in the late nineties as the stuff comes just a couple of years later anyway so he sure, sees yeah. he sees pretty together live you know he's seeing money city he's seeing like you know the big hits and shit would bring a stadium crowd to their feet you know opening for the strokes or whatever at these bigger shows and so the a and r guy for rca the name the name of this guy was steve robowski <clears throat> the band sort of kind of cozy up to him a little bit. And he was the one who ultimately suggested Tom Rothrock. I know that they were trying to maybe, perhaps they were maybe trying to stay in this guy's good graces or whatever, you know, sort of similar to the Todd, Todd Sullivan relationship, perhaps. Although I know Todd Sullivan was like a legit fan of the band. Um, mm-hmm. But so anyway, so they kind of 
snuggle up to this to the RCA A&R guy, and he's the one who drops the Tom Rothrock name. And why not? Like you said, I mean, at the time he was a massive producer. Like you know, he'd done a remix for Moby and the About a Boy mm. soundtrack. I recall from the time, like working retail, like About a Boy was huge. You know, and Elliot Smith and Badly Drum Boy and that kind of stuff. Beck, you know, he was there for Beck. all of Beck's records yeah. up to that point. You know, so this dude's a player, and you know, why not team him with this this incredibly you know, diverse pop group who are so muscular live. And, you know, perhaps he would go, I don't know if Rothrock had gone back and maybe listened to things like one quarter or whatever, and just thought, you know, you guys sound so good live. Let's just go for that. You know what I mean? Like, let's not beat around the bush. You guys sound good in these positions. I want to see that. I want to hear that come out of the speakers because maybe he hadn't heard that yet. You know, perhaps he Mm. hadn't heard what he saw live replicated on record, you know? And yeah. fair enough, 2001 Sloan, you could argue, hadn't really been represented on record yet. You know, we see glimpses yeah. of it. So anyway, that's the sort of introduction of Rothrock. And obviously, Jay is a fan of, you know, Badly Drawn Boy and, and About a Boy and that stuff. And they would have artists in common. But um, yeah, so that's sort of where he sort of falls into the picture. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting uh, dynamic and I think an interesting experiment. And I recall having read that really Rothrock was he wasn't just hiding way behind the mixing board, but when they were playing live off the floor, he was in the room with them, like cheering them on, you know? And I think that that puts the band at ease, strangely, in a situation that they're not used to. And you can tell that it's kind of also the band, it it sounds deceivingly simple what they're doing on record. Like if I, I recall, you know, learning all of the songs on guitar and bass, like overnight, because it's just power chords. So yeah. It sounds it sounds like deceptively easy, but that's also something that they weren't used to in it. They weren't used to having the discipline to record something like that in a matter of a couple of days. They recorded basic tracks for that in a couple of days and the thing was released or the thing was finished in terms of like mixing mastering in seven weeks. Like that's crazy. That's nuts. The particulars on this are that the beds, like the drums and bass, were recorded at a place called Conway Recording Studios, which, if you're in the area, is on Melrose in downtown LA. It's a stone's throw away from the Griffith Observatory. For any fans of uh, Rebel Without a Cause or the Dan Aykroyd 80s classic Dragnet, that's me. But, you know, like, but as you said, they, they did everything in two days and then they're kind of standing around like, well, what else do you want to do? Like, what else is there to do? And then they go back to Rock Roth's house to, you know, lay down vocals and put the guitars in and that kind of thing. So they're, they're extremely expedient. Like I was saying, like, they've got this power and muscle. They've also been playing the songs in their jam space. They've been demoing. So they're very familiar with what everything's going to sound like. And because the decision had been made for Rothrock to be the one who picks the songs, <clears throat> they had an overabundance of material. It wasn't as though, yeah. you know, I know I'm going to get my three or four, so I'm only going to bring three or four. They knew he was picking. So it's like, okay, well, let's everybody have as much as we can possibly have available. And then obviously yeah. the story goes that, you know, Andrew and his wife, are having their first child at the time so he's sort of bowing out in terms of songwriting um, mm-hmm. but he he's obviously there for the demoing process and obviously there he's all he's playing drums on the record thank god so yeah yeah it's i mean it's the one thing that separates this album from anything else in the catalog is the absence of andrew or andrew's songs yeah i think he makes up for this absence for sure in the power that he puts into his job which is coming down and drumming the shit out of the tracks that the other guys have made but you know you can't cut corners on it it's action packed is also 
the non-Andrew album. It's the only album really without and Andrew's creative contribution in one form or another. Yeah. So like from a, from a, from uh, a song standpoint, like his, his contribution to drums, like that's a career, you know what I mean? Like sure. that's, yeah. that's a career there all unto itself. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like in terms of songwriting. Yeah. And so I think to sort of end any speculation on whether or not Rothrock was weeding out Andrew tracks, there weren't any fully right. fledged Andrew tracks of right. the 35 or 40 that the band presented. You know, there were probably plenty of J tracks that were weeded out, but there, at the end of the day, you know, Andrew was busy with his kid who would have been, you know, eight months old at the time or something. That's as yep. all of us know, enough work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really incredible to think about, as you were mentioned, as you mentioned, it's not like guys were sitting at home the whole time between albums. They were touring like crazy. 2004, which is the year, the second year of the Action Pack tour for Canada and when it was being toured in the States, 2004 is probably the year in which Sloan played the most shows. They, I've, I've counted about 70 appearances in 2004 which is pretty impressive. I mean, there are bands out there that do more than that, but considering the the type of band that Sloan is and the type of the type of stuff that they were doing in, at that point in time, if you think about it, 2003, 2004, it felt to me like they were always on the road. Yeah. They were always coming back. Yeah. Um, and into, so it's into, not like this band was slowing down. Into 2005 too. Like I remember seeing them yeah. at least twice in 2005. It's interesting that you mentioned, like I think about, um, uh, what were you just talking about? Oh, the Andrew story. And, and his story mm-hmm. kind of plays out in front of us. I mean, he's, he's not there on Action Pact in terms of songwriting. What is our next visual of him other than the shows? It's him in the documentary saying, I got mm-hmm. songs coming out of my ass, right? And then what is the mm-hmm. effect of that? 2006, exactly. near the end of it, those song yeah. pieces are there and suddenly they've got this big, long 30-song album, which is sort of, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, that the cause and effect, you know, action pack right. creates the necessity to have this giant double record. They're just yeah. getting all their pieces out, you know? And, uh, yeah. and Murph, Murph has mentioned that, you know, like that never hear the end of it exists in its form because of the constraints and limitations of action pack in a way, or at least in the 100%. song selection process. And it's interesting to note, you know, they had so many songs that would later appear on other records included among them would be all of the voices from 12 is from this period mm-hmm. and carried away mm-hmm. from Commonwealth is from this period as well. Yeah. All right, Ken, that's as great a time as any to sort of just cut this off here. Part one, action pack review from the two of us. Anything you want to add before we let the listeners go? Be prepared for a lot of anniversary content around action pack this year. It's an album that um, I, I, I really feel is criminally underrated, uh, even amongst Sloan super fans. So watch me get my revenge on all of you. Uh, over the course of 17 episodes this year. <laughs> <laughs> Killer. Yeah, but expect an Action Pack Part 2 coming out soon and more Action Pack content, obviously, this year, the anniversary year. And uh, yeah, hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up on social media. If you're re-listening to the album for the first time in a long time or for the first time at all, tell us your impressions. We want to hear what you think. So yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this this podcast is dedicated to you because this podcast is for people who know, rock, know what rock and roll is about. I swear to God, I'm going to get that line once without stuttering you know, by the end of the year. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening on, on behalf of Ken and myself. We'll catch you next time right here on Sloan cast. Oh,